Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 43rd episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In this Worm Moon episode, I'll be discussing International Women's Day, feminism, and the Divine Feminine. I'll be interviewing Kiana Reeves, somatic sex educator, pelvic care practitioner, wellness guru, and certified doula. Then, I'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is The Art of Sexual Magic, Cultivating Sexual Energy to Transform Your Life, by Margot Anand. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with affirmations for celebrating strong women. But first, let's talk about my experience with feminism and womanhood. It's International Women's Day this week, and this month is Women's History Month in Australia, the US and the UK. And I wanted to celebrate women, and especially I wanted to talk about my own experiences or opinions about feminism. I definitely consider myself to be a feminist. And when I say the word feminist, I do not, definitely do not mean man-hater. It's a a real pity that some people interpret that word to mean man-hater, and it's definitely not what I am about. I love men, absolutely adore men. (laughs) And I wanted to talk about my own experiences with um, being an independent woman and feminism and being a feminist. When I was a child, I wanted to, um, I actually wanted to be a nun, believe it or not. Look where I've ended up (laughs) as a sex blogger. Um, But it was interesting when I was, uh, well, obviously before puberty, I was really interested in female saints stories. I used to read lots of biographies about female saints and that what really impressed me about them was the perseverance strong women who really believed in something and they would just go the extra mile to pursue that belief and i just really admired that and so i was consumed by all of these stories and then when i and also i used to go to church a lot i mean not just on the sundays i mean i was brought up catholic but i have a, had a friend who was very religious or rather her mother was very religious and she used to go to these charismatic masses which used to last for three hours where people would receive the Holy Spirit and it used to be really deep. So I was so into all of this. I was into all the hymns and all of that. And then um, we were given these Gideon Bibles to read and where, I mean, not not to read, just um, we were just given them at school for free. And there is a suggested reading um, um, list or guide where you can read certain passages um, on the, uh, certain days. And then I think in the space of two years, you will have read the whole of the Bible. And I was like really up for this. But when I got to the passage that I'm going to read now, I closed the book forever. And it just really rubbed me up the wrong way. I'm going to read it to you now. It's 1 Corinthians 11, um, 6. And I'm going to read... Um, 
For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well cut her hair off. But if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, then she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also is man born of woman. But everything comes from God. Mm, okay. So um, I, I just think this, <laughs> seeing that like man, woman is for man, that really kind of made me think, no, this is not true. And that's when I closed the Bible forever. And I, because I was um, fortunate in the sense that I never felt that I was less for being female. I know maybe some people, or a lot of women maybe grow up thinking like that, but all the men around me that I, that I didn't feel challenged by them. And I knew I was academically um, more successful and I, I got much better grades than the men that I, that were, or the boys that I grew up with. And it wasn't going to happen. I was going to suddenly become a woman and then, and then kind of become a domestic goddess. I mean, I'm so not a domestic goddess, but, um, so I never thought that I was going to be, um, just come, succumbing to this traditional female role. And also when I was at school, high school, I had this amazing teacher. Um, she was a chemistry teacher and I, I feel bad that I wasn't very good at science, but I really appreciated this woman and she um, was really a feminist. And she, once uh, we were choosing our options for GCSE and some of the girls had chosen this um, GNVQ, I, can't, I think that's what they, those were the initials, this kind of vocational course um, so that we could do less GCSEs. And this was a new type of course. It was for, it was for people who were not as ac academic. And anyway, this woman, she rounded up all of the, all of the girls who had chosen this topic, this um, specific, um, vocational qualification instead of doing the standard GCSEs. And this was actually made for people who were not as academic and it, it wasn't for us. And she said, why are you choosing this? You are wake, you're more than capable. And then she asked this girl, what do you want to be when you grow up? And this girl said, I want to be an air hostess. And, and the teacher says, air hostess, why don't you want to be a pilot? Get in the cockpit, girl. And it was really, it was really funny how we weren't able to see our own capabilities. And I really feel grateful for her, to her for actually, you know, almost taking a risk. It was a Catholic school, so feminism was definitely not, definitely not embraced. And, um, and I think it was amazing that she tried to push us. And then as a result, none of us took that um, GNVQ course. We all did GCSEs instead. And I was thinking, yes, I am clever enough to do 10 GCSEs and not do eight plus this easy course, you know. So I'm really, 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 really grateful for that. I just wish that I had a bit a bigger interest in um, chemistry to have gotten a better grade because I only got a C, which was my lowest uh, grade at GCSE. But yeah, I feel so grateful to her. And also, I when I was at university, I specialized in feminism. In um, I did French and European studies, and I was all about feminism. And I did my theses in feminism. 
And I think I had this, I didn't really know what I was going to do after university, but I did, did meet some people who were part of some organizations. And I realized that even though there are many injustices in the world, I didn't want to spend my time and energy being angry all day. I mean, I'm really grateful for those people who do devote their life and um, career to um, trying to rectify injustices in the world. But I just didn't think that would be really good for my for my mental health and happiness. So I chose another path instead. I came to Spain to be an English teacher and just starting to live in the sun and all of this. But obviously later on, I have come back to feminism. I do believe that my job as um, focusing mainly on female pleasure is a type of feminism, but it's a really fun side of it. There is a lot of, um, you know, trauma and sadness in um, sexuality as well. But I I do prefer to focus on on the orgasm and reaching the pleasure and making that mind-body connection. So it means I, I can tick many boxes in that. I feel that I'm doing a form of activism, but at the same time, I'm not kind of getting depressed about current situations. I'm actually really inspired and um, I, I love what I do so, so, so much. And I've been a very independent woman in my life. And um, I remember when I was a kid, one of my one of my relatives said to me that I was too domineering to get married. And I thought, well, I'm going to get married then. And I haven't got married. And I do find, um, I, I feel very privileged to be a woman who is financially independent. I think financial independence is so, so, so important. And um, I think this is where things can get very tricky for women, especially um, if you get married and have kids and then you spend years out of the um, workforce and you're not quite on the same level as your your partner. Because then if, if you have a great partner and you're happy, that's wonderful. But then I think I wouldn't feel comfortable with the idea of not being able to leave. I think it's important to choose a relationship and not feel obliged to be in a situation Um, because if it's not going your way then it can be very very difficult to undo Um, and I've I read a statistic once um, that said that 59% of married women would divorce if they could afford to and I think that's quite a shocking statistic and if people are independent I mean financially independent then everyone's going to be happier because it's going to be you're going to be able to be in a situation that you can you can leave if you need to, and you if you stay, it's because you want to, not because you've got no alternative. I also read another article a few years ago about a, I think it was in The Guardian, and it was a journalist who was really happily married. And then she was talking to other married people, and she realized that she was in the minority. So she decided to do some research about what the secret to a, a long, happy, a, a long marriage was. And it wasn't good sex or communication, which is some, those, those are things that we sometimes hear. It was actually, there's too much at stake to, to actually get divorced. And it was quite a shocking realization. And that, that sounds really, really negative, but I'm, I am such a romantic and I would, um, I would, if I'm in a relationship, it's because I choose to be, it's not because I have no alternative. I mean, as a, such an independent person, I don't think that would, I, I would be happy or I would um, thrive in those type of circumstances. I think it's so, so, so important. And I have clashed with some of my female friends about this. I know I do have female friends who are basically looking for protectors. And at the first opportunity, they would like to just stop working and be taken care of. But I think there is a price to pay if you do that, because then you're becoming, you're not really reaching your potential. And I was talking to a female, a male, um, a male friend about this as well recently. And he was saying, 
why would you not want why would you want your partner not to reach their potential it just seems very misogynistic and possessive and I don't know it's a very very old-fashioned and um yeah so I, I think um I love being independent but I also love men and um I I am recently um starting to embrace a bit more my divine feminine side because as, as an independent woman I've been I've been very much in my masculine energy as a doer um proactive person especially as far as my work is concerned um especially being a freelancer you've got to be on your toes all the time you know you've got to be looking for new opportunities and um and being creative and proactive so that you can get those those new gigs and those and, and get your future income guaranteed but also in my private life I have been quite independent and um recently I've been dating a bit more and I remember I went on a date um with a very chival- chivalrous guy and it was amazing I actually did things that I don't usually do for example letting him order the food and um and just not trying it was kind of nicer to, to, to have a rest from being in control all the time and I felt very good about it and also having doors open for me and um and things like that I do really enjoy all of those things even though I do consider myself to be a feminist but I don't think those things are incompatible with feminism I think it's um I understand why people can be confused about these types of things but I mean and also I don't mind if a guy pays as well I think it's um I appreciate the gesture but I'm also in a situation where I can pay for myself so I'm not expecting it and I think if you're expecting it or you can't that that puts you in a very vulnerable um position and if someone wants to pay for my dinner I'm I'm more than happy um but also I remember was having this dinner with this guy and uh, it was like do you want to have this or this and I was like whatever you want whatever because usually when I um, go to restaurants I have a very fixed um, idea about what I want to eat and I never share my food but this time I was just like in the flow and just like yeah 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 and it felt so nice actually um but obviously it wasn't a situation that I couldn't control I was definitely definitely in control and, and choosing to embrace the passive receptive feminine energy which was really nice so it's i think it's um kind of be nice to find a balance between feminism and the divine feminine energy and um that receptive passive energy which doesn't it just sound a bit bad when you say it like that and i can understand why people can be confused i was talking to another friend about this a male friend about this recently and he was saying you know women want equal rights but then they want um their dinner paid for and um, I don't think it's good to expect the guy to pay. I think you should always try and pay your half all the time. And if someone wants to pay and then you can pay something else, you can pay for the drinks after or pay for the next dinner and and um, have it equal that way. But yeah, in um, general, women are still not earning the same amount of, as men. So um, that's something to consider as well. But um, whatever you do, earn, I think it's <clears throat> important to be able to pay for your own lifestyle and enjoy masculine energy and uh, enjoy your feminine energy and be independent as much as you can yeah so happy women's day i will be celebrating women's day even though for me it's a constant celebration because i am um, trying to promote female pleasure every day of my working life and it's something that i find um, very gratifying Now it's time for this episode's interview. I'm going to be speaking to Kiana Reeves, somatic sex educator, pelvic care practitioner, wellness guru, and certified doula. 
Kiana, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much for taking part in this interview today. I'm so happy to have you here. And for those who are unfamiliar with your work, could you tell us what you do? Oh, yeah, I do a lot of things. Um, I'm formally trained as a somatic sex educator and a sexological body worker. And so a lot of my work in the past decade has been hands-on um, anatomy, pleasure, embodiment work. And I'm also an intimacy and relationships coach, a doula. I've been doula for over a decade and a half. And I'm the chief officer at Foria, which is a sexual wellness brand that is designed for the female body. When people ask you what you, what you do, how do you answer? Because I guess that must be a, a layered question. It's so layered. Yeah. Um, I try to succinctly bring it into, you know, I tell stories about women in the female body across all parts of our lives. I help people access more pleasure um, through understanding their body to really working with their body and then help people connect to their the most important and primal and the essence of who they are through sexuality. So what inspired you to start this journey about sexuality? Was it something that you always you were always interested in? I was definitely always interested in it. I was, you know, the the person in college putting getting speculums and helping my friends find their cervixes and all sorts of things like that. But you know, it really, really picked up after I became a mom. Like the first time I gave birth, there was such a huge difference in the way that uh, I felt about my body and the way the world related to me as a woman now that I had a child. And it really piqued my interest about like how our sexuality changes throughout life based on our relationships, what we're going through, and um, kind of started pulling in this idea that we're, you know, ripening and maturing and changing, going through all sorts of different evolutions of ourself across the lifespan, uh, particularly as women and particularly those in the female body, and that we really don't talk about the nuance of that as much. And so that's what like piqued my interest. I was like, wow, this changes again and this changes again and this changes again and it continues to. And um, it's something that I've been particularly passionate about ever since. So after motherhood, you decided to make sexuality your work. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I went into the world. I founded a company uh, that was called The Tulip with my sister. And it, at that point, it was about pelvic health for women and looking at like these traditional models of pelvic care from around the world. And and then I got connected with the founder of Foria and we kind of really hit it off. And we at that point, Foria was like a tiny little two person, three person operation here in California. And we had a couple of people in Colorado and it just started like blooming into this beautiful dynamic where we really helped to build the brand to what it is today. Going back to the pelvic floor, how do you feel about um, the kind of education and knowledge that you had before giving birth? I think a lot of women don't really know anything about it. Is that, yeah. do you say that's correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The pelvic floor, you know, we hear about it in terms of like, do your kegels because your pelvic floor keeps your bladder and your uterus in place. And it's so important. So important for, you know, preventing prolapse and preventing urinary leakage and stuff like that. But it also plays a crucial role in pleasure and being able to orgasm and experience sexual pleasure. So the fact that it's not talked about, nor are we taught how to proactively support the pelvic floor leading into pregnancy, leading into birth, and then supported postpartum, you know, like places like France in their care of 
birthing people is they have things in place where you get pelvic floor physical therapy after you give birth, just as part of your care. And we don't have anything like that here in the United States, but um, it, it's really important. This this crucial part of our understanding of our bodies, and you know, it's unfortunate that not many people are offered the opportunity to understand that before they're uh, looking at really concerning issues because something has changed. Yeah, I've had a few uh, friends who've gone through really extreme prolapse, and that's really mm -hmm. scary. And they're different levels. In the UK, I'm not sure if it's the same yep. universally. There's different levels, yeah. So there, and there's different kinds. There's bladder prolapse, there's uterine prolapse, there's rectal prolapse. They can all, it's anything, any organ that's falling into the vaginal canal. And so there can be a number of different ways you're prolapsing and, uh, yeah, levels of intensity. Wow, it sounds so, so painful. And I heard a statistic that I don't know how many, the percentage of vaginal birth actually go, people who give birth vaginally, has, if there's over 50% who will experience some form of prolapse. And I thought that was pretty high. I, I just heard that statistic once. And I think, um, I know I have friends in France actually, and they they did the uh, the training, the um, pelvic floor training, but I think it was just after birth. And then it's like, oh, you're okay now. But I think what would you say it's like important to maintain all the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the pelvic floor, it's not just like the seed of your sexuality and your sexual reproductive health, but it's also the seed of like your, it's the hinge of your body. Your hips are the hinge of your body. So you're constantly leaning over, squatting, picking things up. And your your pelvic floor plays this crucial role in your stability. A lot of times, like in elderly people, um, you know, tripping and falling and not having balance has to do with imbalance in the pelvic floor. And we don't even consider these things. So it's this, it's like a crucial part of your well-being, your ability to move and experience life freely. And um, there's just so many things that we do that aren't really good for the health of your pelvic floor. Could you explain which, what things that aren't good, for example? Yeah, even, even simple things like uh, that we're not, you know, like when you have a bowel movement, for example, uh -huh. you are not supposed to push. Pushing puts downward pressure on the pelvic floor. It's uh -huh. you're supposed to let your your rectum just relax Fun. and open. And so the difference in those two things can like downward pressure is that thing that causes prolapse. And the same for you know um, even the kegels that were taught were not taught to do them in the appropriate way and to use the breath because there's a uh, there's the abdominal thoracic um, diaphragm that really impacts the pelvic floor and you're supposed to only do a kegel when your breath is fully exhaled otherwise when you inhale and your lungs expand it puts downward pressure on your abdominal organs which puts downward pressure onto your pelvic organs so doing a kegel when you're actually having a lot of breath in your body is counterproductive to what they're trying to do so you squeeze okay. on the out breath. Was that is that you correct? squeeze on the out breath? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, you breathe in. You let your belly expand. And this is another really good one: is we're taught to hold in our bellies. Mm -hmm. Bad. That is not good for pelvic floor health. We actually need like if your if your belly is you know extended a little bit, it makes more rooms for your organs to move around. And when you suck it in, that again is that downward pressure on the pelvic floor that makes the organs you know, move lower, have more pressure, have less support. And so letting your belly just be soft and do what it wants to do is really, really important. 
Another thing I think is, so, correct me if I'm wrong, another um, mistake would be tensing your buttocks when you're doing a pelvic yep. floor. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because a lot of people, you know, for a Kegel, they're tightening their anus. And really where you want to focus is your vaginal canal. I mean, they're, they're all connected. It's almost like a figure eight kind of sphincter muscle uh, structure. But definitely want to focus the Kegel on the vagina versus the rectum. Definitely. And also the thighs as well. People like tensing the whole area. Yeah. Supposed to be just yeah. like lift and squeeze. And to yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Are you familiar with um, yoni breathing? Would, would that be a good thing to do? Is that, is, oh, is that kind of, because I've heard of the practice called yoni breathing, which is engaging the pelvic floor with the breath. Mm -hmm. so. I think it'd be something similar to what I was saying earlier is like on the inhale, everything's soft and open and even like maybe like the um, letting the labia kind of soften and be full out. And then on the exhale, you tighten and pull in and you, you want to squeeze um, not just the, the base of the vagina, but internally all, all the way up through the canal. Even if you can't sense it, mm -hmm. putting your mind on the musculature that, uh, that you imagine to be connecting to can help connect that mind-body movement and pulling it all the way up like an elevator. And you can bring your belly button into it as well as like bring in the lower abdominal muscles. But connecting with that that with your breath is essential. I mean, it's, it's absolutely crucial. I've never heard that before because I'm actually a sex toy reviewer. So I have 750 sex toys in my possession. Wow. Yeah, I have a spare room like full of them. It's wow. 10 years of work. But obviously the same companies make um, um, pelvic floor, Kegel balls, etc. And what I've learned is um, my favorite method is... Um, the app-controlled ones that have um, biofeedback because yeah. it's measuring the release as well as the squeeze. Because I've heard, that, correct me if I'm wrong, um, that using this weighted system is really bad because it's putting you in this permanent sense of uh, of tension because you're wearing these balls for, let's say, 15 minutes and you're you're standing up and you're, all of your muscles are tense for that long just so they don't fall out. Exactly. And that's not really a good way. I mean, if you like, I just come from the gym now. I wouldn't be squeezing my bicep for 15 minutes. It's that you have to kind of release and uh, exactly. contract. Yeah. Do you say yeah, that? It, it's so important, actually. And um, so I had a private practice for a long time where I was doing intravaginal pelvic work. And more often than not, there are places, it's not just like someone has a lax pelvic floor or a tight pelvic floor. It actually can be like areas where there's um, laxity in the muscles which just means they're you know they're not activating in the way that they they could be um, but there's also more often than not chronic tension in the pelvic floor and so when you have a a product like that that's asking you to like hold and create more tension without the opposite action of releasing opening softening pushing out even a little bit um, then you're creating a cycle of chronic tension in an area that already likely is holding tension and imbalance. So would you recommend just doing the exercises without any tools or, or what would you recommend? Yeah. Yeah. And I think doing it like with the breath is really important. So like making sure at the very least you're, you're pairing your Kegel with the breath. So like we've talked about that big inhale, everything's soft and open and on exhale you can squeeze and contract but then working with someone you know having if you have any kind of concerns about the pelvic floor if you're like there's pain sexually or something just doesn't feel right or you're not you know you feel numb or 
you just want to check it out. Like we're working with someone hands-on who can say like, yeah, the, this muscle grouping actually is holding a lot of tension. How can I help bring this? You could do this with your own hands too, but um, you can feel muscle tension by like using your thumb and kind of tracking in a clockward motion around and inside the vagina. So how many times a week should you do them for and how often, how long for, would you say? I mean, I think it's, it's based person to person a couple of times a week for 15 minutes is kind of the average. You don't have to overdo it. It's not something that's like, um, it's not that Kegels are the only thing that are going to support the pelvic floor. It's something that can support it, but also like posture, okay. high heels and what kind of exercise you're doing. And it's all of these other habits that we've developed in our lives, sucking in our bellies all the time. Like those are the things that also are going to really have a long-term impact. And so it's, it's looking at it dynamically and going, what are the things that are going to support the health of this like really important structure in my body? What are the things that I'm doing that maybe I can change? And then, you know, bringing in tools, biofeedback tools, you know, organic kind of natural cables, things like that when you need it. I did a class of um, hypopressives once. It was amazing. Is that a good, oh. you know, when you get I've never heard of it. It's this weird thing. It's kind of like pelvic floor, but really, you know, making a concave stomach with bricks, mm -hmm. like a lot of breathing in pelvic floor. A lot of people who went to this class were doing it postpartum just to, it's really incredible things. You're working very, very deep muscles if you want to get those yeah. filler abs. You know? oh, it's called hypopressives. Yeah, I went to, that was in my gym. A couple of gyms ago it was fantastic but i couldn't quite you know you need, you need to really work it a lot to actually get that yeah. effect when you when you're making this concave belly it looks very weird when you see it <laughs> i'm sure yeah i'm sure definitely and what else would you say pilates as well they say that's kind of good for pelvic floor. good for the good for the pelvic floor can also create tension if you're doing it you know a lot and so again it's that it's just that balance between what's working for your body and supporting it and what's overdoing it and creating too much uh, for the body to hold. Okay, so tell us what you just touched on before about, um, is it Foria? Um, so you're the chief content officer. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so Foria, you know, Foria is almost like, I see Foria as my third baby because um, I joined the company when we were so small and it, it's been such a labor of love and collaborative effort between a lot of really incredible people to be where we were and where we are now. And we are, and I think we were actually the first company really focused on creating all natural formulas, plant-based formulas for female sexual pleasure and female sexual well-being. And it's been over the last almost decade now that we've developed these incredible lines for um, different intimate need sets across the lifespan. So our core line is our intimacy line. And that one is, uh, at this point, kind of has a cult following because it's so effective and so phenomenal. We have an arousal oil. We have um, internal suppositories that are called the intimacy melts. We have an all-natural lubricant. We have bath salts that are made with aphrodisiacs for getting in the mood. And what we've tried to do is take like the female sexual response cycle um, the sexual response cycle is the same for everyone, but for some women, it can take a little longer to state change out of all of the thoughts and to get more into sensation. And so 
we've looked dynamically like how arousal works in the vulva and in the vagina and for the female body and created a line that works on activating arousal, enhancing pleasure, enhancing comfort, helping anything that's getting in the way of experiencing pleasure kind of um, get muted or moved to the background and to really help people connect with their libido and their desire. And it's phenomenal and so exciting to be part of a company that's that committed to these different parts that are crucial to our life and our well-being. Uh, we also have an amazing period line that's all about uh, relief of, you know, mild to severe period concerns so things like PMS and cramps and all of the tension and moodiness that's associated with periods. And we're doing work in the menopause space, the mother space as well. So what kind of products would you have for periods then? That's the best. I've never heard that. So we have a, a relief suppository, which is, okay. I think, think one of like their most innovative, incredible products. And it, again, it, we've been first to market in a lot of these areas where no one was really focusing their attention. And then there's been these awesome waves of people being like, yeah, actually, that is an important thing for us to give attention to. Um, but we created suppositories that are very, very rich in particular cannabinoids and plant compounds that absorb locally into the tissues. So you're thinking like most people who experience cramps are taking over-the-counter pain relief. They have to go through the digestive tract. They can mess with the liver. They can deteriorate the stomach lining. There's all of these like negative side effects of taking those every month. Um, and what we did is we said, okay, the pain is starting in the uterus. The inflammation starting in the uterus, the discomfort starting in this area, like how can how can we target that area and support it and create something that's all natural, has no side effects and really will work. And so we did a lot of research on plants that are beneficial for um, that that type of discomfort and developed a very, very potent suppository. And it's changed a lot of people's lives. Well, that's fascinating. Um, as a sex toy review, I also get a lot of um, free uh, what, lubricant sense. I mean, I look at the ingredients, and I'm like, no way. <laughs> so I just don't, yeah. It's so crazy. Oh, yeah. We, we talk about this all the time because it, the reason we created our lube, because mm -hmm. our motto kind of before our lube was like, we are only going to create stuff that like no one's ever made before. Mm -hmm. And then we were talking to people and they were using lubes and they're just, they're full of carcinogens. They're full of uh glycerins sugars things that throw off your ph things that affect your vaginal microbiome uh, flavors colorings i mean just parabit just the worst kind of stuff and you're putting it on a mucosal membrane like your your vulva your inner vulva and your vagina they're all so absorbent the tissue is just like sucks things straight into your bloodstream so if you're putting chemicals there it's it's basically like ingesting it into your mouth Going straight into your body, and um, yes, that was the impetus behind behind our lubricant. We were just like, we need people need options that are actually going to work and are really really clean. Definitely, because I think a lot of people also use um, labeling, which is really confusing, saying it's natural ingredients, and then yeah. the first thing you see is glycerin, and that, I think that's just so bad. I think it's really worth spending a bit more on lubricant, think considering where you're putting it. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, glycerin, you're like, yo, that's all natural. Yeah, it's a sugar. And guess what loves sugar? Yeast and the bacteria that are opportunistic that live in your vagina. And it can totally, 
you know, lead to yeast infection, bacterial vaginosis. Um, and so it's, it's right. It's not just like being an all natural ingredient. It's actually what's the impact and how does this work with this part of my body? And I would also say, because there's kind of this greenwashing of mm. you know, quote unquote all natural products where people think this plant and this plant and this extract and something we've been very committed to since the beginning, which still I'm surprised not a lot of people are doing is um, testing your ingredients. Like we will only use organic ingredients mm. in our formulas because what happens when you take a plant and you extract it into like a, a concentrated version of that, you are also concentrating all of the pesticides, all of the fertilizers, and all of the chemicals that it's grown with. And those are going, again, into your body. And so it might be an all-natural plant, but if it's not all-natural farming methods, you're, again, like putting yourself in, um, in my opinion, not in a good position for the health of your body. And so we've committed always, always, always to organic ingredients whenever they're available. And we test it in multiple phases during our manufacturing process. It's cool. It has a little QR code on the box and you can pull it up and you're like, oh, why lube tests free of, you know, not just all of the terrible ingredients it could have, but also mold and pesticides and heavy metals. And like how cool that we never even think about that, but they're in all of our products, you know? Yeah, I think it's very difficult. I mean, I've been in this industry now for um, about 10 years as a, as a yeah. tester and reviewer, and I've had so many things sent to me. And I've only really reviewed a couple of brands in, that, in all of the, all of the things I've received. It's, it's really crazy. Yeah, it is. And there's just no education. Even if you go to the, the gynecologist, they're using the worst lubricants as well, the most commercial, like cheap things. Yeah, it's just not enough education. Yeah, there's really not. So is the is this um this brand based on CBD or is it that they're just plants in general? A lot of the well, we originally were a CBD company. Actually, we were originally a THC company. Oh wow! And what has developed over time is like um that was the the first plant that inspired us and obviously had clear action on the body. Mm -hmm. And what's happened since you know 2014 is like. We've just fallen in love with plants from all around the world that have a lot of cultural significance and have been used uh, for long, long, long periods of time in particular ways. And so we're looking at these, you know, this cultural and anecdotal evidence across hundreds, if not thousands of years of usage of these plants and going like, yeah, this is going to be a really potent plant to put in our formulas, so, like kava, cacao is another one we use a lot. Um, and so we do have hemp in there and we have a lot of other multi-botanical uh, formulas as well. So you mentioned earlier different stages of life and sexuality. I'm very curious about um, menopause and sexuality. I don't think there's enough information about that, especially approaching it from a natural perspective. Do you have any tips on that? So many thoughts on this. Yeah. So we had, I'll tell you a funny story, like five years ago. We were working with our PR company and we were like, we have to talk about menopause. This is so important. You know, we're looking at these statistics that are staggering. It's like upwards of like 50 to 60 percent of perimenopause and menopausal women experience a decrease in their libido and their sex drive. And um, upwards of like, I think, 50 to 60 percent start experiencing painful sex because of 
the changes that their tissues are going through during um, the change in the estrogen production. And then like 30% are experiencing a change in their vaginal lubrication. And no one was talking about it. Like no one. And we built this whole campaign out and we sent it out to a bunch of publications and no one would pick it up because no one wanted to talk about menopause. And it's funny because like we were on like we were on such the front of the wave that there wasn't a wave yet. And I don't know if this has reached where you are yet in Europe, but um, we're we're seeing a, a big wave of people talking about menopause now. And it's very exciting because not only is this time of life being decoupled from that kind of tropey, uh, you know, like menopause is like older women and you know a non-sexual part of the life and you kind of like get become desexualized because of age the narrative now is really changing and it's very exciting to be a part of that conversation um and i think that the main thing that we're focusing on is that menopause if you look at not recent history but kind of you looking at commonalities in different cultures around the world over you know thousands of years and how this part of the life was revered as actually time of not just like wisdom, but someone who's like to be so respected and so looked up to and so adored and so taken care of. And just like the absolute opposite of what ageism has done with this part of life, particularly for women, because it doesn't happen with men. It does not. It happens with women. And so it's really, I think, the most important part of menopause is like taking back that narrative around it being a highly sensual, erotic, and freeing part of life where you know your body better than you ever have. And sure, it might be going through changes, but there's tools to support that. And your emotional intelligence, your erotic intelligence, the connection you have with your body, all of that is going to support you in having probably the best sex of your life and so that's that's what we want to be talking about it's not the like oh you know menopause you're gonna enter menopause and it's gonna be so sad and your body is gonna change it's like actually let's give you the tools so you can really celebrate how amazing how desirable how magnificent and just fucking awesome it can be with its challenges like not washing over them but honoring the challenges and honoring you know the excellence that comes with this time of life so we need to know what these tools are yeah well for <laughs> for us you know it's like a lot of it is an intimacy line that we have it's like the intimacy melts the awaken arousal oil the sex oil that combo is like that's vaginal hydration that's deep 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 comfort that's support with the arousal and the access to orgasm and it's support with the libido and so we get phenomenal feedback you get support with libido that sounds interesting yeah so and this is interesting right because i don't i don't know how much you know about responsive desire um for spontaneous desire um i can i, I can well maybe you would like to explain it maybe yeah i'll ex i'll explain it yeah so there's these two kind of like modes of understanding how desire arises in the body and the one we're most familiar with as sex drive desire is spontaneous desire. And it's desire that arises in the mind and then starts to turn the body on. So it's like 
Um, it's what we see in movies where suddenly someone's like hot and heavy and they're kissing and they're turned on and it's like passion. And it's that um, out of nowhere kind of desire that most people associate with their sex drive. In actuality, a lot of people and a lot of people who are who are women who identify as women actually experience responsive desire more often. And responsive desire is desire that's stirred and woken up through the body and then the mind catches up. And so it's something that's coming through your senses, a touch, a kiss, a scent, a sound, watching something. Um, and the way that awaken in particular is working for libido is it's stirring your sexual response so that all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm turned on, like I'm getting aroused. And it stirs your desire to this part where you're feeling pleasure in your body and you're feeling connected to your desire in a way that's activating the rest of your, uh, you know, the brain and the rest of your sexual response. Well, sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We just did a, it's cool. We just did a clinical study and on three of our products in our intimacy line. And I think it was something insane. And the, the company we worked with was actually like, we've never seen statistics like this before, but so quote me on this, but I believe it was 100% of participants answered that Awaken um, helps them feel more connected to their libido and their sex drive. Like 100%, not 99.9%, 100%. What does, sorry? Awaken, the arousal oil that I was talking oh, about. Oh, amazing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. Another thing, I actually did um, an article recently about um, lubricants for menopause. And as I was researching, um, I found a company that was making... Um, these pessaries, um, um, but the, then it was because I, I learned because I think there's not enough education about this that the lubrication or lubricant is not just for when you want to have sex, it's just for day to day maintenance because yeah, it feels exactly. very uncomfortable and yeah. maybe a bit dry and a bit itchy. Exactly. And, and I just think I just thought, whoa, why don't we know this? There's just not enough. To... Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's the story of our company. It's like we keep asking ourselves, like, how is no one talking about this? Why don't we know this? Same happens postpartum. You know, postpartum, you get a, a similar decline in estrogen, especially if you're breastfeeding. And you go through a similar thing where you're like very tender vaginal tissues. It might be slightly drier. Menopause, it's, it's a much more noticeable change. But it's like, how do we not, how, if half the world's population is experiencing these things regularly, like menstruation, regularly, like you know, pregnancy and, and postpartum in particular, like perimenopause and menopause. And we just have not done any kind of job to educate and prepare people for these transitions in their lives. It's it's astonishing the lack of information that we're giving about it. And it, it actually, to me, it reveals this much deeper, um, <laughs> it's a much deeper loss we've had in connection with our cultures and our lineages and the practices that, that bring women into different phases of their lives in a way that's like intact that your grandma is like hey your, your body's going to be going through this this is what my body's done here's the herbs i've used here's the practices you know or for you know places a good example of this i think it's in taiwan um for postpartum they have programs in place it might not be Taiwan, by the way, but it's a, a dear friend of mine that I studied with um, was speaking about these places where you go after you have a baby 
and they hire the government hires the grandmas who are no longer working to come and take care of the mothers so that they can recover. They get a massage every day. They get cooked. Their bellies are massaged. Their organs are massaged. They have the right kind of like um, belly binding happening so it's not causing pro like. The fact that we don't have intact practices like this is actually, that's what all of this points to, is like the uh, the rupture in our societies for taking care of the most vital and important part of our lives and the lack of prioritizing women's health in general. So, yeah. People just want to seemingly get back to normal and spring back and not really share these things, I think. So I think I saw another statistic about um, prolapse of that it took on average maybe five years for a woman to tell a medical professional that there was an issue they just kind of suffer in silence yeah I mean very similar statistics with endometriosis it takes like many years for most people with endometriosis to get diagnosed and it's so common it's like one in ten people have endometriosis here in the United States yeah. well there's also another um, there's a program on the, in the UK that's similar to the view but less glamorous and there's one woman on it and she's had about five kids or something and she talked about the first bowel movement after giving birth and how traumatic it was and I thought wow it makes sense because if you push something out of your vagina that you're using kind of similar muscles it must be hell it's so it's so scary yeah. it's scary especially if you have stitches or you're oh, already yeah. still feel like they're finding their place and just these things that our body does that we don't talk about because it, it's not um i think people see it as you know being something to be ashamed of but actually it's something that everyone else is experiencing you know like an anal fissure or an anal tear is it's very likely to happen during birth and if it doesn't it can happen due to dehydration from breastfeeding and you've done all of this pushing and, and it can be excruciating and it can last for years and so you might not just be like the first bowel movement you can be like the first 200 bowel movements you know and yeah i had a friend call me crying in pain three months after birth and she was just like i can't poop anymore like i'm terrified every time and i'm like yeah you know you have to troubleshoot and there's all sorts of things you can do but just like the common body knowledge that we're lacking, severely lacking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's going back to all the different things that you do in your life, and a couple of lifestyle uh, questions for you. How do you manage your time after uh, doing so many things? Do you have any tips? Question. I think my best tip for managing your time, which is not really a tip for managing your time, but it's more about finding the energy to do the things you love mm -hmm. is to make sure you're you're focusing your energy towards the things that you love because you really will find and know how to create time when you're passionate about your work i'm sure you can relate to that. absolutely yeah. you're like oh you follow the thing that you love and you will make it happen and it might feel very full and busy you might have to let things go but um and then saying yes to what makes sense you know, really checking in, like not, um, not saying yes just to every opportunity that comes your way, but to really like, this is important to me. This I'm just gonna have to let go. But it's a constant balance. You know, I have two young kids. Work. Oh wow. Speaking of energy and balance with two small yeah. kids, a quick question for you. Um, 
So what advice would you give to a busy couple with children and how could they prioritize pleasure when time and energy are an issue? Yeah, I love that question. Um, it really depends on the phase of life the children are in. And I was reading a statistic the other day that uh, pre-K, like so like ages like four and five, preschool age, maybe even three and four, women report the least and lowest amount of sexual satisfaction at that age range in their lives. And it's because there's such a demand on energy and constant attention when kids are really little. So I think for a couple who's going through the very early years of parenthood, it's just like part of it is bracing yourself. Honestly, part of it is going like, we know that our availability for each other is going to change. So how do we build in the structure for connection? You absolutely hire a babysitter once a week. Mm. You absolutely create time to connect because your romantic and sexual tethers to each other is what's going to give you the energy to continue doing all the hard stuff together. It's what resources you. And a lot of the times we will experience um, the idea of sex or connecting sexually as something that's like, oh, I have to do that, or that's like extra, or it seems like more work. But actually, it's not. Like when you're in the moment, it recharges you. It recharges your nervous system. It helps with your stress levels. It's the anticipation of, you know, the time it's going to take and the, the um, you know, just the, the conflict between carving out that time and all of the other things that need attention. So my number one suggestion is like, don't let your intimate, sexual, romantic life be put on the back burner. Like proactively carve out time for it. And by carving out time for it, it doesn't mean you have to have sex, especially in the like, you know, heteronormative narrative of sex, which is like PNV, you know, penis and vagina penetration, one done, like good. Like that, that's not going to really help anyone feel connected. I mean, carve out time for engaging each other's erotic energies through massage, through intimate touch, through kissing, through taking baths together, through breathing together and looking in each other's eyes and then seeing what comes naturally. Maybe the moment leads into incredible lovemaking. Maybe you fall asleep holding each other. But like if you let it be beautiful and let it be what the moment calls for and be open to that instead of resisting because you're kind of like afraid about how long it's going to take or what you're going to have to do, it'll just, it'll continue to be a fountain of, of, um, nourishing in your life that is so profoundly important yeah i'm really glad you said that um, there shouldn't be so much emph emphasis on penetration because i think that's the number if i'd gone through all of that birth stuff i just the last thing i'll be thinking about would be doggy style sex <laughs> no, for example yeah. but no way exactly you'd be like no yeah. yeah well and a lot of people you know there's this kind of there's a kind of like sub narrative that's like, oh, is my husband getting his needs met or I want to meet his needs? And mm -hmm. um, especially those first two years can be challenging on couples. And I, it's less like I'm going to speak for men here. You know, I hope I'm getting it right. But <laughs> it's not that he needs sex. It's that he needs you. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. You know, he needs to like feel your heart and your body and your love for him and your desire for him. And so like, yes, 
getting off can be a part of that, but he can do that on his own also. It's actually that he wants to feel like your love and your desire for him throwing through flowing through you. And if if he doesn't feel that, it's like any amount of getting each other off is not gonna nourish nourish that deep inner part of what either of you desire. And so I think if you lead with that, that is like such a crucial piece of the puzzle. It's not the getting off, it's the connection you're both seeking. That's really beautiful. That's amazing. Um, so a couple of quick questions. What was the book that changed your life? Ooh, so many good ones. Um, you know what book I just go back to again and again is The Women Who Run With Wolves by... Oh, it's like second guess who said that. I need to read it. It's the best. It's the best book. And it just gives so much context to the many, many, many versions of ourselves that live inside us that we don't always give ourselves permission to be. And it's stunningly beautiful and poetic and um yeah that's my love amazing i want to check that out because that's something more than one person has told me now and what um phrase affirmation or quote do you live by that's a good one too so i was thinking about this and the one that has come to mind for me again and again and again and we and we talked about it a little bit it's a roomy quote and it goes something like um let the beauty of what you love be what you do and it's this idea that like the whole world is made of beauty and it's actually aching for us to create more beauty in our own lives. And so if we follow like what we're drawn to, if we follow the beauty of like what brings us more alive, we naturally contribute more beauty to the world. Um, but we also will naturally have more energy and we'll, we'll feel more recharged by the demands that it the demands of just being alive, you know? Yeah. So, yeah amazing. I love it. So how can people find you? Um, two ways. If you want to find me, me, myself, and I, Instagram's probably a good place. It's Kiana, K-I-A-N-A dot Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S. Um, and then if you want to find Foria, Foria's an amazing company that, that I've been with forever. Um, Foria, wellness.com so f-o-r-i-a wellness.com and then our instagram is at foria wellness amazing thank you so much it's been very insightful speaking to you yeah absolutely delightful thank you so much thanks for having me the book i'm reading now is the art of sexual magic cultivating sexual energy to transform your life by Margot Anand. This book is amazing. I first read this book in the Feb February 2020, just before the lockdown. And I remember feeling kind of frustrated as I read through some of the exercises, because they really had an emphasis on sacred sexuality um, for a couple. And I was single at the time. I was actually kind of in a, how would I call it, um, a temporary separation from my ex-boyfriend and so I was just like oh I need someone to actually practice all of these things with also I was in Poland I was doing an advert because um, I'm also a commercial actress and I was in this five-star um, hotel um, in for about a week and all I had to do was work three afternoons in that week just to do some 
a rehearsal for this ad and um, wardrobe fittings. And the rest of the time I was just having massages and eating in vegan restaurants and reading this book. And I was, I just, it, was just, it just felt so frustrating. <laughs> and I was, I was thinking, I need to revisit this book. And now I'm revisiting it because I am hosting a, um, a sex magic um, masterclass and a conference in an auditorium this April in Barcelona in the World Trade Center for Magic International, which is the biggest esoteric fair in Europe. And I'm doing it in Spanish. It's my first public speaking experience in Spanish. So I really wanna sharpen my pencils as far as sex magic is concerned. And I'm definitely going to be, um, yeah, um, going over all of these, all of these techniques and um, and learning them more myself and learning how to transmit the this these ideas and concepts to a new audience. And this book is really beautiful, really romantic, and I want to read a couple of extracts to you. And this is from chapter one, sexual magic. You probably already know that sex can be a magical experience. But you may not be aware that magic can be a sexual experience. It's true. Magic that is charged with the orgasmic power generated by sexual loving acquires an intensity and potency unequaled by any other method. When you gain mastery over the art of sexual magic, you gain mastery over the most powerful form of magic there is. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. I just want a little reminder. When we talk about magic, we are talking about manifestation. We're not talking about um, pulling white rabbits out of hats. That would be a different type of magic, which is focused on entertainment. And another part of this book, which really resonated with me, was an exercise about genital shame. I think there's so much genital shame I'm not sure if I've talked about this before. It wouldn't surprise me if I have because it's a really big topic and it's something that a lot of people write to me about this, especially men who are um, who don't feel comfortable with their penises. They think, you know, that they are inadequate. They don't like the size or the shape or they don't like the curve. Curves are great, by the way, so don't be worried about that if that's your case. I really believe that this um, this these complexes come from porn and that that doesn't really help. And I think if porn is so damaging, I don't know why people still watch something that's bad for you. It's like, why? I don't get it. Um, and it, if something's making you feel inadequate, then you should remove that thing from your life. And um, I just think porn really kind of emphasizes, accentuates these things. I, I just um, I just don't see much good in it, to be honest. And yes, yeah, so I get so many... Um, messages from men about this but I think everyone and most people do um have experienced genital shame in their lives I mean if you are in an intimate relation or in an intimate situation with someone and then you get to the point where you are removing underwear and exposing your genitals to a, a new person the first I mean I'm, I'm not many people are going to be feeling like yeah check check out my uh, vulva or penis or whatever I think a lot of people might feel a bit of shame or they want to hide under the covers and I think that's a real pity. Um, also with um, with female, with vulva, I think there's a lot of shame there as well. It's also from, from porn. People are concerned about maybe um, the shape of their labia. Their, their, the, um, yeah, so, so I think um, that, that's definitely a concern for, for many people, thinking about the smell, the taste, etc. And we're not supposed to smell of strawberries, so don't even think about getting any kind of I mean for me I just don't understand in my in my industry all these horrible lubricants that um, have um, 
strange flavors. It's, it's really kind of perpetuating this notion that um, vaginas don't smell good. And, they, and when a healthy, clean, turned on vagina smells amazing, it's not supposed to smell of strawberries, but it has another smell, which is a million times better. And um, yes, yeah, so I think this is this exercise is really, uh, it can create a lot of deep bonding if you have this conversation with your lover about how they feel about their genitals um, and then touching it, looking at it and just showing it lots of love. And I also read in another book recently, um, the, what's it called again? Um, oh my God, what is it called? Oh, Cupid's Poisoned Arrow. And it had, um, at the back of the book, they have these um, ecstatic exchanges. And one of them was describing touching your partner's genitals in a comforting way. And I think that could be, it sounds vanilla, but it, it's actually really hot to to touch someone in a comforting way on, on their genitals as opposed to, a, I want to stimulate you way. It's a beautiful gesture I think and I think um, if you feel that comfort and bonding with your partner it can really 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 um, improve your your sex life for sure and I want to read another extract from this um, from the art of sexual magic this is in chapter seven which is there's a chapter called Shakti's magic um, the alchemy of female orgasm every woman knows that she holds inside herself a tremendous capacity for love This love can take many forms, from the nurturing mother to the devoted partner in a committed relationship, to the wild and ecstatic lover. For a woman to open herself to this love, to expand into it, to be fulfilled by it, is perhaps the greatest magic that she can accomplish. The key to opening the door of love is expanded sexual orgasm. This is the root of the woman's tree of love, her earthy, earthly base, her dark, feet, fertile, hidden source of vital energy, out of which her tree can grow to great heights, blossoming in spectacular abundance with the wonderful, fragrant flowers of love. At the risk of making the rest of this book seem almost redundant, I have to say that a truly orgasmic woman needs no other tools for magic. Her radiance, her bubbling energy, her sexual vitality, her overflowing heart make her so magnetically attractive that she naturally and effortlessly draws to herself everything that she needs. Oh my God, how beautiful is that? So that is, those are some extracts from... The Art of Sexual Magic, Cultivating Sexual Energy to Transform Your Life by Margot Anand. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's Guided Affirmations Meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable Take a deep breath and enjoy. I am a strong woman. I am a powerful woman. I embrace my femininity. I know my 
To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.